0: Everyone, welcome to soul Revival HQ. A special welcome to all the mothers watching. I hope you all have a special day today. And for those who this day might be a bit difficult for, I hope this service brings some comfort to your soul. We'd love to know if you're watching, uh, so please like or comment
1: on Facebook um, and share it as well. Well, I'm here with I'm Karen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm here with Barbara Hobson on the couch tonight. Uh, to talk, uh, find out a little bit more about Barbara, so welcome Barbara. Hello, welcome, thank you. And because it's Mother's Day weekend, um, we thought we might focus some of the questions around your experience of mothering and motherhood, Mm -hmm. Um, but just to get started, because some who are um, joining us tonight at um, this gathering may not
2: know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family? Uh, okay, my name is Barbara. I, have, um, I became a Christian in my late teenage years in, the, in Germany in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. I um, moved here to Australia about 25 years ago because I got married to an Australian man and um, yeah, have been here for quite a long time. I have three teenage daughters, they're now 14, 16 and 18 years old. Um, when I was pregnant with my first child, my former husband, he turned um, Abusive and a couple of years later, violence. So that was something that, of course, defined our family life and my mothering. Um, I work as international aircrew with Qantas, so at the moment I'm like everybody so else. at home, yeah. Yes, not going anywhere far. Yeah. Um, yes, I've done that for nearly 25 years, and I hope I will be able, once this all is yeah. over, be able to do it for another 25 years because I really do like lo- lo- yeah. really do love my job. Right. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Like it, yeah. So, thinking about motherhood, could you maybe, reflecting back, um, I know you've, you've got three, um, some still at school, yep. so can you tell us what has been maybe one of the most unexpected things uh, about being a mum?
2: One of the more unexpected things i found that there you have three children and you feel like you're treating them the same. You have like the same um, theories on how you want to raise your children because once you have children, you very quickly are forced to decide how are you going to raise your children, like what are the guiding principles that you're going to use and um, I had like for example I wanted to raise my children that they, if I ask them something to do like if I give direction that they do it not because um, I have the power to potentially punch them in the head but because um, we have a relationship of trust and love between us <laughs> um that has worked with some much better than with others so yeah. it's the same concept. they're individuals <laughs> they're not just gonna all do the same thing yes yeah. so or um who the, would have thought <laughs> or the concept that um you know, you do right, uh, you, uh, I want to teach them that they do the right thing because it's the right thing and not because they fear the consequence or the punishment, mm. which I think is just a better way to be to train them to be like responsible adults when the time comes. And um, that also has worked with two significantly much better than with one. So I find that quite amazing that you can have the same, I think i have treated same them basically the yeah. same. Yeah. They went through the same struggles with a particular family life and yeah. I I think I kind of did the same and outcome, quite different outcomes. Individuals. (laughs) Absolutely so, yeah. So you mentioned that
1: you've you've worked um, for a lot of years and during those mothering uh, early when your kids were younger years. How did you um, find balancing that sort of the external work um, responsibilities with your family commitments?
2: Um, Due to a particular family situation, I was always the main breadwinner, so I had the main job. So when my youngest child, um, um, when I came off maternity leave, it was clear I would be having, uh, I would have to go back to work full time. And back then, the trips were still longer. It could be anything from a day trip up to like still six, seven, eight nights away, and. It was just clear I had to do it, there was no if or but. Um, th- the funny thing was the children did accept me going away. As much as they cried and didn't like it, they did accept me going away for work. That was just something they very quickly, even as young children, um, learned. However, any time I wanted or would want to go out when they were at home whilst they were young, mm, they not absolutely so, not so did happy. not accept. So it <laughs> was just a clear thing for me. I do leave the house when I need to and the kids understand even if they don't like it anything else bible study anything else where they would be home i would not leave the house mm. i would either do things where they would come along or i would once everybody was in preschool i could do things but that was just the accepted priority just because that was yeah. so I did family, you have a big money.
1: support network around you then to help when you had to work, or how did you manage um, that?
2: For, uh, once I went back full-time, my former husband, whom I then still was married to, he was home most of the time. Right. He studied on the side, so the kids were taken care of in terms of if somebody yeah. was there in-house when I was, yeah. uh, when I was gone. And, and sometimes,
1: um, and having three kids and working, um, you know, all of your time seems to get taken up, a lot of, you know, with just your general day-to-day stuff. How did you find... What practices worked for you to maintain your spiritual life as a busy mum with young kids?
2: Yeah, my spiritual life was just in those early years when I had the children really, really, really difficult because our family situation was just so difficult because it was vicious domestic violence right through my the early childhood years of the children. So that was interwoven in all my mothering and uh, all my spiritual life back in those years. Mm. And to be honest, it was really, really, really hard. Yeah. Like I struggled with God a lot, but my relationship with God was really, really difficult. I did not really often know where to turn due to this our particular situation. I wasn't able to share with anyone for very, very many years. Mm. So that was a burden we, I carried mm. by myself. And on yeah. top of it felt that God most of the time you know, wasn't there, wasn't, you know, I didn't feel supported. Mm. I oftentimes just felt abandoned into the anguish of not being able to protect my children. Yeah. But in the end, in all that, there's nowhere else you can go. So I did come to the conclusion, like Simon Peter says, Lord, where else shall we go? Only yeah. you have the words What's of eternal right? life. Mm.
1: So what what did, what did you find was helpful to, obviously, you're
2: still a Christian. You've, you've, yep
1: weathered that really difficult traumatic sort of period what were some of the practices that kept you grounded and connected to god then
2: um i think very helpful it is if you're in really difficult situation just to stick with what your head knows is the truth and act accordingly even though your heart may not be in it so i kept Mm. going to church persevering Mm. i kept the structure of going to church i kept the structure of there wasn't much personal structured prayer time happening however I then just realized my anguished soul day in day out about not being able to protect my children. That was my permanent prayer to God, yeah. and so I, that was just how it was lived out in those mm. days. But I would very much say stick to the structures that you know help, even if um, they may yeah. not feel like so. Doing what structures wrong. you mean? Prayer, going to church, yeah, keep doing absolutely, those things.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah, and isn't it beautiful that when we're struggling, God's still hanging on
2: tight to us? So, yes, yeah. even if you don't experience yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. later on, um, when things were a bit more public, and um, through the um, custody battle, later once I separated, I found it very important. I had a big, a relatively big. Sorry, a relatively big group of people with whom I shared quite in detail what was happening mm. and with whom I could also rant and rave and like get my disappointment at how things were going out. And yeah. I fed off their faith. And I think that's a very important part when you go through difficult times, that when you have no faith, you try to live and feed off other people around you that yeah. have the Surround faith for yourself you. Surround with
1: people yeah. that those hold you Those two things yeah. kind of carried me through those yeah. really difficult times. So looking back now, so, you know, Mothers have to be the, you know, font of all wisdom. Sometimes in our <laughs> in our lives, as you look back um, from you know your position now, what do you wish you knew back then that you know now? I guess you know what's a piece of advice that you would share with your young self, your young um, mother self?
2: It's actually I was a very confident young mother. I really was keen on having babies. I looked forward to having babies. And I, um, for me, I think not so much looking back, finding something I didn't know before, but things that I suspected back then, now 18 years later, my eldest is 18, I can say, yep, I think I was right and it has turned out to be like that. Like, I would say, stick to your guns. You know your own children far best. I do take issue with like very prescriptive books, even Christian ones that say that is the way to do it. That's the only way how your kids are going to turn out right. They don't know your children. You are the expert on your children. You know your kids. Yeah, you mm. stick with what you feel. And I do believe in that instinct that mothers mm. get from God, that they kind of understand better than an outside person what um, mm. in the end helps with their so children. Hang, hang
1: in there, trust trust yourself. You're doing do yeah, it. very okay. much
2: trust yourself. And don't if, if yeah. you read something that doesn't sit with you, just don't do it in the Mm. end, and in the end, like I have one child that's significantly more difficult to raise than the others, and oftentimes I raise my hair, I even tell her saying, hey, I don't know Mm. know what to do with you. Don't know what to do. (laughs) And in those things, um, I suspect, and I think that's still the case, in the end, love wins. If you can stick with expressions of love, um, verbal and physical, and um, in words and actions, I think that's your safest bet trying to push even the most difficult circumstances, that in the end, Mm. you know, it'll turn, Good. So, so just,
1: just to finish off, um, can you reflect on one moment of joy? You know, kids bring us so much joy um, amongst all that trauma. <laughs> what's, a, what's a moment of joy that you could just share with us to finish?
2: Oh, just, one, just, oh, just one that happened just recently. Um, it was my birthday and my daughter, I'm not an Instagram, I do Facebook, can't do too many things, but she posted on Instagram, and I found it via another child, this most beautiful thing that she composed, like to her friends saying an ode to my mum for her birthday. Oh, and she like wrote this most wonderful thing, and it finished with something like, um, "Now sketching your world, sketching your world in shades of triumph after whatever, picking glass from bleeding hands." Like it was just such a beautiful thing. And I but thought, she oh, she recognised yeah. your beauty
1: through all of the difficult times that, like,
2: my eighteen-year-old yeah. can actually see where yeah. we've been and where we've come yeah. through. That was just a very yeah. recent way there. Yeah. I thought that was just wonderful.
1: Well, it's a tough job being a mum, and you sound like you've weathered difficult times but you've you've done it still with joy and yeah. and hanging on to God so that's a beautiful story thank you thanks for sharing
3: with us hello everyone we're going to pray now please join with me gracious God and heavenly father we come together today in a new way via screens but for the same reason as ever to honour you, to sing your praises, to be reminded of your desires for us. We acknowledge that you are in control. This rampant virus has reminded us how weak and vulnerable we are. But you have created the oceans, formed the mountains and determined the start date and the end date for our planet and everything in it. So in this time, when we can scarcely leave our houses for fear of catching a deadly virus, we turn to you for provision. We ask you, dear Lord, to keep us well, keep us sane, keep a roof over our heads and food on our tables. We remember that you call us to come together each week for worship. We are kept apart at this time locked up in our houses and unable to come together in large numbers. We pray for a sense of unity and togetherness. Help us to share the weekly rhythms of tuning into services on Facebook and to meet afterwards for a chat on Zoom. Give us energy to keep this up, even when we feel weary, when it's hard to get out from under a warm doona or when there doesn't seem any point. Help us to remember that you have called us to worship together each week and that we obey you when we answer your call. Today is the day when we traditionally celebrate our mothers. We give you thanks, Lord, for the mums who raised us, cared for us, taught, provided, comforted, encouraged and cherished us. We remember and honour too all the significant older women who've played an important part in our lives. We pray that we can find words and gestures of love and thanks for our mums today. May today be a good day. We remember mums we have lost or are separated by distance or sickness. and We pray for blessings for all mums and an enduring relationship with you Lord. We pray for our paid pastors as they lead us from an appropriate distance. Thank you for their imagination and versatility in developing online services, encouraging our Zoom catch-ups, Bible studies and other meetings. Give them rest and refreshment in the daily grind. And we also give thanks for our volunteer leaders, conducting engaging youth activities, contributing to services, late night meetings, reaching out to those who are sick and troubled. Encourage all who are doing your work as members of our loving community. We give you thanks for the continuing faithful generosity of members in a time of uncertainty and financial strain. We delight in the gifts that our members have given and we pray that you will be glorified in the work of the church. In the last few days, there are signs that the spread of the virus has moderated in our country. We ask that you would watch over us and help us to be wise and careful as we adjust to a more watchful and detached approach to normality. Above all, we ask that you will move us to trust in you and your provision in all things. Our attempts at self-reliance continue to fail and we know that you alone can and will provide everything we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: All right, we're going to hear from uh, God's Word now. Um, we're looking today at Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to start from verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, either, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music... If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing, these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, "'Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire?' They replied, "'Certainly, Your Majesty.' He said, "'Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods.' Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego,
5: Hello friends, it's great to be with you today. Um, My name's Paul, and it's my pleasure to be able to share God's Word with you. We're going to be looking at um, Daniel chapter 3, so if you've got your Bibles open, keep them open, uh, because we're going to be making reference to that as we go. That would be great. Well, um, sometimes it's nice to stand out from the crowd, is it not? I mean, to be thought of as special or exceptional. But actually, more often than not, we actually like to be part of the crowd. You know, we're herd animals, we like to stay safely tucked inside the herd. And actually to stand out from the crowd can actually be not so nice. Um, I had a friend who was once invited to a fancy party and uh, he was not uh, well versed in the etiquette of formal dress. And so when he saw the requirement black tie, he thought, great, I've only got one tie and it's black. Well, you can imagine when he turned up to the party, as he opened the door and saw everyone there in their bow ties and dinner suits and ball gowns, he just wanted to disappear. Well, it's one thing to feel uncomfortable and embarrassment when you stand out from the crowd, it's quite another to be threatened with death. It sounds extreme, but it's happened all too often throughout history. And it's the threat of the story we've just read now our passage tonight is one of the most well-known from the Bible, but whether we know it really well or we don't know it at all, uh, we always should ask God for his help before we come to read and understand his word. So why don't we pray to that end now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to hear your word today. For some of us, this is a familiar story. For some, maybe not so familiar. But Lord, regardless of what we know, we pray that you would enable us all of us, to humbly respond rightly to your word today and to be willing to trust your power to save, no matter what trial might stand before us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now last week in chapter two, we read about the dream of the king. Uh, The dream was about a statue that looked impressive but got smashed to pieces. And now just one chapter later, King Nebuchadnezzar says, A statue, now that's a good idea. So he builds one, a very big one, 27 metres high, that's about as high as an eight storey building. So it's not subtle at all. Um, It's going to tower over the plain of Jura and it's a sign really of his arrogance, of his pride and presumption, of how important that he thinks he is. And if you remember, the statue in in his dream had a head of gold but this statue is going to be even more bling. He says, my statue, no, no, my statue is going to be covered from gold from top to bottom. Now it's not really that clear whether this statue is of Nebuchadnezzar. We're only told it was an image and that's linked to the king and to his gods. But the way we respond to this statue is very, very clear. Everyone was to gather, the music would begin, and everyone was to fall down and worship the golden image. The choice, brutally frank bow or burn bow to the image or burn in the fiery furnace now as you read through this chapter uh, you can't help but get a little bit overwhelmed because there's actually a lot of repetition in it we're left in no doubt about who is there in this place so on screen i've got verse two then king nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So what's this list saying? It's saying anyone who was anyone was going to be at the dedication. This is a, a who's who of Babylon. And just in case you missed it, the very next verse, that whole list is repeated again. I'm not going to put you through that. Why is it doing that? It's just to make sure that we know just how important this event must be. And what's more, it wasn't going to be an exclusive event to the people of Babylon. In verses four and seven, we read about how people of all nations and languages were to fall down and worship the image. You can imagine it, yes. Your majesty, your grace, your excellency, distinguished guests of the treasury and uh, court, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the dedication today. Get out of your seats and on your knees. And the music, well, how could we miss the music? The band is listed out four times in the chapter. The horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the bagpipes, the triangle. Every kind of music it says. I'm sure they had the egg shaker and kazoo as well. It would have been a tremendous cacophony. Aren't you impressed? Because could it be, could it be that maybe, just maybe, we're being set up? That all this pomp is being mocked for its pomposity? Because the truth is this statue is a set up. The word set up is actually repeated nine times in the chapter to make the point. This image might look impressive, it has all the weight of national government behind it, but in the end, it'll come to nothing. It'll be forgotten as it erodes away to dust. And so here we have a king, a king who sets up false gods, quite aware of the king of the God who sets up kings. Have a look at chapter two, verse 21 here on screen. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons He removes kings and sets up kings see this king had been busily posing but he actually had nothing on the god who's put him on the throne in the first place the point is to see these events from heaven's point of view in chapter 2 it's been made clear what god does to state-sponsored statues if only we could see the future of this proud king if only we could see the falsehood the stupidity. If only we could hear heaven laughing at this image. Oh look at King Nebuchadnezzar. He set up a golden toothpick. And so this curious version of musical statues begins. Although in this game you really need to pay attention when the music starts. You do remember the band don't you? I mean, The horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the bagpipes, the triangle, the egg shaker and kazoo. Well when that band starts the crowd gets its collective backside in the air, its nose is in the sand, and enjoys job security. And then suddenly, three men are exposed. Three men who say no, who stand out on the plan of Jura because, well, quite literally, they are standing. Um, what are you doing, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? When they play the tune, Why are you not dancing to this city's music? And then the pressure starts, and you can imagine the conversation, can you not? Look, you can still have your private superstition. Nobody's asking you to deny your God. Um, Nobody minds that. It's just that in the public square, there's such a thing as political correctness, and you have to submit to that. Just cross your fingers, get on your knees. Well, Nebuchadnezzar confronts the men and his ultimatum is clear from verse 15 on screen. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good, but if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And there we have it, the important question. This is the turning point of the story. How will these men answer that question? What God is able to rescue you from my hand? But before we get to the answer, we need to remember that these events don't occur in isolation. This story follows the teaching of chapter 2, where we have read already of the God who sets up kings and removes them, the God who will crush earthly kingdoms and establish his own eternal kingdom. The question is now, the heat is on. The question is, Can God deliver on this? Does he have the power to rescue his people? The answer is yes, he can. The story tells us that God is stronger, that he's stronger than all the world's might. It could be the might of the Babylonians or the might of the Persian Empire to follow. It could be the might of any empire after that. God will overcome them all. And the king's question in verse 15, well, it actually comes from a position of, extreme arrogance, what God can save you from my hand? He says, no, you don't need to answer that. I already know the answer. No God will be able to uh, rescue you from my hand. And the God of heaven looks down and says, oh Nebuchadnezzar, not even a furnace that's heated seven times hotter than usual is gonna stand in my way from saving my people. And so Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, are thrown into the furnace but God intervenes. He shows that he can save like no one else. For God somehow through the fourth figure in the fire is somehow present with his people protecting them. Indeed God's protection went so far that there was not even a sign that the men had been anywhere near fire. Have a look at verse 27 on the screen. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their heads singed their robes were not scorched and there was not even the smell of fire on them and so nebuchadnezzar's proud opposition to god does a 180 degree turn and now he changes it into praise in verse 28 he declares i've got it here on screen for you praise be to the god of shadrach Meshach, and abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants He himself answers the arrogant question of verse 15. What God is able to rescue you from my hand? He says, well, the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Ebednego, for no other God can save in this way. So we see in our story today that the God who rescues is the God who rules. And that rescue gives us confidence in him. And so we can have ultimate confidence as we look forward to the ultimate rescue. The ultimate rescue being Jesus saving sinners from eternal death so we don't have to face the fires of hell. And that's the wonderful thing, friends, that the God of this story is the same God who is rescuing people today. So if you want to find out more about that God, look into it. But you know what, as wonderful as this story is, I think we may not be at the heart of why this chapter is recorded for us. You see, why are we told this story directly after the chapter that says God rules? Obviously this chapter is about God's rescue. God can rescue his people, even from the most monstrous king. But I wonder if these chapters actually say something more Before we talk about rescue, this chapter tells us what it's like to live in a world of power, where powerful kings and kingdoms, ever more vicious and monstrous, will they come and go. This chapter is talking about what it's like to be the people of Jerusalem living in the city of Babylon. You remember that's the setting of this book. God's people have been exiled from God's city from Jerusalem and are now living in Babylon a place that was set up in opposition to God. And so we've just read of the might of Babylon set against God's people. In this chapter, the state has got fire. In chapter six, the state has got lion's teeth. And these flames and these teeth are set to devour God's faithful people. So I actually, wonder if before we get to rescue, this chapter is about endurance. God's people enduring the opposition of the anti-God state, a state that is frightening, that's exceedingly strong and set up in opposition to God's people. And that's a sad truth, is it not? It's been repeated all through, all through history and many millions of God's people have died. They didn't get miraculously rescued. They were put to death because of their faith. So what is it that actually Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say? Have a look at verse 17 here on the screen with me. They say to the king, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God that you have set up. Did you notice those words at the beginning of verse 18? I've highlighted them there for you. But even if he does not. our, Our God is able to save us, they say, and we believe he'll save us. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we will not serve your gods. There's no room for doubt here, is there not? They would have been feeling the heat coming from that furnace and there was no doubt they were going to die. So, how can they do it? How can they muster such immense faith in the face of such persecution? Well, this is how Jesus put it. Have a look here on the screen. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were sure about who God is. They knew who really ruled and therefore they knew who should they really fear. They believed all the dreams and visions that God had given them. They lived in this world, holding firmly to the promises of the next. They had faced the Babylonian court in confidence because they had already heard God speak to them from the heavenly court. You see... These men knew the eternal God who stood over this king. They knew he would crush his pretend empire and establish his eternal kingdom. They knew the one true God would take his faithful people to be in the heavenly Jerusalem. And so when you know all that, what can flames do? Have a listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's Shadrach, Meshach and Nebednego, was is it not? We're not afraid to die. We're confident in my God. And there's nothing you can do to make us change. And isn't that the mindset of all the Christian martyrs throughout, Christian, uh, throughout history? Death had no fear for them. There was no unknowns. It was just a doorway to go through to be with Jesus in heaven. It may it be with us that we would have that same unwavering hope in our Lord and Saviour as we face opposition. I mean obviously the great thing is that today we're not living under the threat of death. But there's any number of things out there in our life that demand our worship. What is it for you? Is it a career? Is it family? Is it material uh, material comfort? Social acceptance? You see, when the music of this world plays, we ought to think, to think again if we should dance to it. Knowing that a follower of Jesus is not of this world, we hold firmly to the promise of our heavenly home. Let's pray. Dear God. We do declare that you are indeed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We thank you for the faithful example of your people throughout the ages that have modeled an unwavering hope and faith, even in the face of unimaginable persecution. Lord, please forgive us for the times we fail, when we bow to worldly things that demand our worship. Please strengthen us, Lord, to be like Shadrach, Meshach and Ebednego to live lives that demonstrate our trust in the promise of our eternal heavenly home. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today. We're hopefully counting down to when we can meet um, again together physically. But for now, we have the chance to meet over Zoom. Uh, You can find the meeting details on the Pulse app or let us know and we can help you to connect. If you're a Bible whiz, you may have picked up the way that Daniel uh, chapter 3 and Jan- Daniel chapter 6 uh, mirror one another. Uh, Paul has wonderfully brought Daniel 3 to us this morning, and Jai will be preaching on Daniel chapter 6 this afternoon uh, at our Woolware gathering, if you'd like to have a listen. Have a wonderful day, everyone. May we all this week trust in and rely on God as he's always faithful to us. Take care.
3: Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings at the top of the page. You can choose any one you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Thanks again, and one way. Okay by exit.